0: Biggest myth is, I'll pivot away from what I previously said. We'll say this is the second biggest myth. The first biggest myth is hardware has to be hard. Uh, And hopefully we've solved that. Uh, The second biggest myth is that inventions come from engineers. Hmm. And I don't understand why the average person thinks that. The reality is, is inventions come from people who are angry. That's where they come from. Someone who has dealt with a problem in their industry, and they're so frustrated that this this sticky spot this this velcro like thing is in their path that they've they've decided to invent something to work their way through that that's where inventions come from
1: Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Expert. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight-figure businesses, as well as a founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now today, we've got another great guest on the podcast, Justin Evans. And uh, Justin, uh, we're gonna be talking about a, a few different uh, topics, which include, uh, as you're uh, bootstrapping a business, how to not give up equity or to give up the, the least that you can um, and building a business from scratch and also uh, figuring out how to work with uh, Chinese factories as a uh, day labor and understanding uh, factory jobs as a white collar worker and prototyping and getting it done fast with uh, high quality and uh, a lot of great uh, points of conversation. Um, And with that much as introduction, welcome on the podcast, Justin. Thank you, Devin. It's good to see you. I, I haven't been on your podcast for a couple of years, so it's good to see you again. Yep, absolutely, and just as a reminder to the audience, so Justin was one of the the our first guests on the Inventive Journey, so um, which is our sister podcast. So if you haven't, or if you want to go check out his full journey and some of his, uh, ep- or check out that Inventive Journey ex- or episode, and uh, um, but for those that haven't had a chance to check out the episode, maybe just take a, a quick minute or two and uh, introduce yourself to the audience.
0: Um. So my name is Justin Eugene Evans, and I'm, uh. American. Uh, I spent about the last fifteen years living in uh, Wisconsin. Started a tech, a, a, a hardware technical business in my one-car garage. Uh, grew it into an international company and sold it for thirty-one million dollars about two and a half years ago. And um, now I operate my dream company. It's called Evans Works, and we've built our first factory, which you see behind me. It's called the Evans Works Creative Lab. And uh, this is sort of a prototyping facility on steroids. And I'm now in Cape Town and Taiwan. Those are the two places that I, I split my time between.
1: Awesome. No, great introduction and uh, sounds like a, a fun, and exciting business to be in. And so... With that as an introduction, maybe just uh, diving a a bit into the topics at hand, one of the ones that I liked, and it almost kind of uh, flashed back a little bit to um, our original original episode with the inventive journey, um, which is, you know, the balance that a lot of times businesses have of bootstrapping versus getting investors versus giving up equity versus keeping equity. And it's kind of always what feels like uh, competing interests and, you know, kind of trying to figure out what you should or shouldn't do and what mistakes to make or what mistakes to avoid. Um, so give us your, a little bit of your thoughts on if you're bootstrapping a business, should you give up equity or how do you avoid a giving up equity? Oh, no. <laughs> hell no.
0: You should hold on to as much of your equity as you can, as long as you can. And you should realize that the investor does not have your best interests at heart and they use uh, valuations. They pretend it's a science. It is not, it is at best a shell game played in the dirtiest uh, subway station in a 1970s nightmare version of, of New York. And they're shuffling the the, the little uh, shells around and you're the sucker. Um, uh, I, I feel very strongly about this. Um, I made the decision two years ago when I was essentially forced to sell the business that I loved and, and had uh, incubated in my garage for over a decade. Um, my wife and I made it a very strategic decision, and we decided that these people who had manipulated their way into our lives, we would let them win. Uh, we refer to it as the Queen's Gambit, and we deliberately gave up our Queen so that we would have the capital to start our dream company. And um, I have only one financial partner in my new business, and he's my best friend. Um, mm-hmm. So his name is Jason Moore. He's one of the stars of Marvel's The Punisher. And he believed in me when um, there was no reason to believe in me. Um, I had no patents. I'd never sold a piece of technology. And um, I still remember him sitting me down in his car just after he'd gotten his check for his third episode of uh, The Punisher. And Mm. he said, I'm signing this over to you. And I wish I had more. Um, And uh, it got me into tears because of of the deep passion that he had for what I was doing and, and his faith that I would come through. So he's the only person who's going on this journey with me. So he's my only, my only investor, my wife and I've put up about 95% of the capital. And, um, and there's moments, it is absolutely panic inducing and fear inducing uh, because um, I'm the bank. I make every mistake. I have to pay for the mistakes. And some of those mistakes are big. However, um, our company is now two years old it became revenue neutral last week. And uh, we have no debt. uh, And we own 100% of it. And being in that position is so rare, it it allows us now to focus on how do we grow the business. And we do not have to make um, an investor happy, we can do what's right for the company and what's right for our customers.
1: Mm. No, that's awesome. Now, kind of to follow up on just diving into that just a bit, which is, I know, kind of in a little bit of what you alluded to, it's a lot of times it's easier said than done. You it depends on the business. If you're in a service-based business and you're gonna go do whether it's you know haircutting or you know, plumbing repair or you know, whatever oh. that service may be, it makes it easier because you're really your startup costs are low. In other words, a lot of it is hanging out your own shingle, maybe getting an office, or a lot of times you can work from home and you're selling your time and your experience. Now it right. gets a bit more difficult as you're getting sometimes into more tangible or product-based or even software and some of those things where you can't just do it off of your own time and dime, but you have to actually Absolutely. get products made or prototyped, or you have to get you know um, people that are, have ex- expertise that you don't, or you have to invest in physical and tangible or products or equipment. All those tend to, to add up. And so when you get into that realm, you know, other than if you have a big savings account that you can dip into, how do you go about maintaining that equity or not giving it up, but at the same time, getting the, the business off or off the ground?
0: Our company's in a very different position than most. I don't think most people could start um, what we've started because, um, and, and we had explored building this in the United States, then Toronto, then Jamaica. We were ready to pull the trigger and build the first creative lab in Kiev. And, uh, and we saw students drilling with AK-47s in the uh, square of the Keith Polytechnic Institute. And we deliberately held back and did not sign a lease. Um, and six weeks later, uh, Putin invaded. And so this has been a really difficult business to start. And I, I never could have convinced an investor uh, to say that because the whole, the whole concept of the creative lab is that we are redesigning the industrial revolution. This is a completely different way of thinking about how to do manufacturing. That's not an easy sell. And it's a very expensive startup because we've got to invest in a lot of machines. And then we have to make those machines do things they weren't necessarily intended to do. If, um, if I were to do it all over again, though, um, and I didn't have the resources I've been lucky enough um, uh, to acquire through the sale of a, a former company, if I was starting from scratch and 22 years old, um, I would go out of my way to start a business that does not require any startup capital. And I'd make that my, my revenue stream. Because mm-hmm. if you've got cash coming in, here's another way to put it. Um, there's two lies that we're told, uh, particularly as Americans. Um, the first line most entrepreneurs ignore with ease. Um, and that is you should get a job for security. Go do something you hate. Do something that that will kill your soul. Don't worry about that. What matters is security and go get this job. Maybe you'd have no interest in accounting, but go be an accountant. Um, And I had a a, a parent who would say to me, you should just be a teacher. You should just be an attorney. You should just, you should do something. I'm like, I'm not built for those. That's, that's not my passion. Um, Most entrepreneurs can avoid that lie with ease. And most of the people you'll hire have completely and totally bought into that lie. And you have to understand that they're a security driven person. But there's a second lie too, and that is do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. That is equally as toxic and it's equally as wrong. I think a better way to look at this is much more nuanced and it's do something that you hate if it will put enough capital in your bank account that you can then be the bank and do that long enough that you can start to build the, the financial resources to be your own investor. Because no investor is ever going to have your back. They always have their own intentions and their own objectives, and they aren't they aren't necessarily aligned with yours. Um, and that very well could be as simple as starting a food truck. It could be as simple as doing haircuts out of your house. Um, there's, there's all sorts of ways to start um, a cash flow positive business that requires virtually no startup capital. You can become a millionaire selling donuts. Um, I chose to do something crazy. I chose to say everything that had been wrong with my previous company. Um, and I'm not talking about the investors now, I'm talking about the the hell of trying to just get an object made. I mean, as here's here's my latest invention. And um, and so let, let's just take the extruded skin here, the aluminum skin. Um, it took me two and a half years to learn how to do this with ease, to get it to be the quality that I want and to get it to the price point that I want. That's that's not what the industrial revolution was ever supposed to be. It's supposed to be easier than this. It's supposed to be as simple as going to uh, FedEx office. and um, And so that's that's what i decided to do but that's capital intensive when you say we're going to make the fedex office of factories
1: hmm. no i think that uh, that makes it and I, I i agree with you on, on both fronts. i mean I, or are a lot of fronts. i think that you know the the lie that you have to hate your job for your whole life isn't there one that you have to accept but on the other hand i think equally as you said when you're saying hey Find something you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. Even if you find something you do love, you're still going to work a day in your life. There's still a lot of work. it's still a lot of effort. It's still hard, and it's still you have or plenty of sleepless nights and worries. It's just that you would also have a, a greater sense of enjoyment. But I like the idea that I think that sometimes people feel like well if I have a business I have to go all in I have to burn the ships or quit my job and and, you know throw caution in the wind and I think you know almost taking that stepwise approach of get something that allows you to be financially stable so that as you're starting your business as you're doing your side hustle or your second full-time job that you're able to have that financial stability to let you or let you pursue the the business keep the equity but also give it enough runway to set it up for success so i think that's a a great uh, piece of advice and, and some great takeaways now one of the one of the questions you started oh go ahead
0: uh, there's two great examples. Number one is the company BioWare, uh, which is one of the top video game companies in the world. It was started by two medical doctors, and neither one of them had a passion for medicine. They were mm-hmm. talked into becoming medical doctors by their parents. and But luckily, by, by being medical doctors, they made more than enough capital, and they never bought into the myth that they had to live at the level of their income. So they chose to live uh, middle-class while well, they're making an incredible living, and they poured the 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 delta of their income into their video game company, and that's why it's called BioWare. Uh, another really good example would be um, Mike Richardson, who started Dark Horse Comics, uh, which is the fourth largest publisher in the United States. He mm-hmm. didn't start with a publishing company. He started with a comic book store, and it was the profits that he made from a single comic book store in Portland, Oregon, uh, that allowed him to grow that, and that was called Pegasus Books at the time. And he was able to grow that into two or three Pegasus locations. And then he launched Dark Horse, which he just sold to DC Comics for a quarter billion dollars. So mm-hmm. so I, I think it usually means that you need a grand strategy. and and uh, and I am the first to admit I didn't have a grand strategy, not at first. There were too many times where I would jump into something because I loved it with all my heart and I wasn't thinking through how is an investor going to take advantage of me in this situation? Or how am I going to put myself in a position to easily be taken advantage of because I'm going to be so desperate for capital. And, Mm -hmm. and now I'm, this is the first time in my life. I'm in a position where there's cash flow coming in um, with clients that come into the creative lab. And that, that pays the bills for the entire business so that I can now finally focus on invention and bringing out my own technology without the need for additional capital of my own or additional capital from investors.
1: No, I think that uh, or definitely makes sense. And I like the examples. And I think that sometimes we we don't hear about those examples because you only hear about the people that put it all in where the overnight success and that's the yes. 1% that is successful. And you don't hear about the others that uh, had they taken a different path, it would have been a different outcome. Now, switching gears just a little bit, but you know, kind of along those uh, things, one of the, the things that you guys uh, are help out with and do a lot of is uh, prototyping and uh, getting that initial concept to something more than just an idea, but also helping people do that on, I think, on and putting words in your mouth that you can certainly correct, um, but uh, doing it on a reasonable basis and helping people to do it at, uh, you know, in, in a good uh, process and step. But if you're a business and you're just starting, you know, or you're even, more, we'll say even one step earlier, You're a solo guy, uh, you know, solo inventor, has a great idea, has a, you know, you do have that full-time maybe job or some savings that you're saying, hey, I don't want to quit my job now, but I do want to pursue this with the idea of hopefully turning the side hustle into a full-time or opportunity. And one of those first things is is I want to take the idea and turn it into a a prototype that I can make sure that it works and start to shop it around and and get uh, excitement than that. Kind of, what are those uh, initial steps to get into prototyping, and how do you do it so it doesn't uh, break the bank?
0: That's a great question, Devin. Um, you know, we have a wide variety of clients here, and the thing they seem to share in common is an itch that they can't stop scratching. Um, so we've had clients from the mining industry. We've uh, we're working with a dentist. We're working with an optometrist on a new way of making prescription glasses. Uh, We're working with a liquid propane gas company uh, that has a new uh, LPG delivery system. And uh, we're working with a uh, evaporative water collector company um, that wants to solve water crises around the world. And Mm -hmm. every single one of these clients, the same thing that they all seem to share is that they understand their industry so well. They know what technology should exist for for their industry, but they can't find an investor. Um, or the investor wants too much equity and they're they're trying desperately to scale this technology, this idea of theirs up on their own. And so we sort of step in the middle of that and we help them on every single step of the journey. So th- this can start with, they walk into the door and they've got, I've got a sketch. That's all I've got. Um, now, if they demonstrate they don't understand their industry, we we find a way to end that relatively quickly. But that most of the time, the person is coming in, they are an absolute subject matter expert. Um, and so that person will say, I've, I've got a sketch. I can demonstrate how well I know my industry. And I have the, the barest of financial resources that I can pay for your services. Um, most of our clients are not wealthy. Um, and they don't need to be. Um, and once they've begun that journey with us, we take them on every single step of it, which means we start with conceptual design for the product. Uh, we walk them through uh, color theory and figuring out what's their branding for their corporation. We can do logo design for them. Um, we have partnerships uh, with both local law firms and international law firms that can then register their IP. Um, and, uh, and then with, once that's all in place, the engineers start to get to work. And the engineers will do digital files of whatever it is that they're working on. They can do this remotely. Uh, It's amazing how much you can get done from your bedroom. And once they have approved a digital version of their invention, we even do uh, uh, simulations, really advanced simulations. And so they can say, well, I I need to make sure that it'll it'll pass IP67, or I need to make sure that it it can handle this kind of a fall off of a second story building, or I really need to understand the the thermal energy that's coming out of the back. And if we've really um, handled uh, the cooling correct, correctly. Um, once we've done all that, we go, now it's time to make a prototype. And, uh, and one of the things we walk them through happens right down there uh, in row number two, uh, we have ordinary FDM printers. And and the whole point of starting with an FDM print is that it's is not as pretty as a resin print. It certainly doesn't look like a final product, but it's cheap and it's fast. And it, it mm-hmm. keeps the costs down as an inventor is is now moving from the digital to a physical object that they can hold with their hands and make sure it fits in the palm of their hand right, it feels right, pieces rotate correctly. Once we've we've gone through that, we can final prototype products right here. Uh, In row one, we've got metal printers and we can print in titanium, steel, copper. Um, Some of our other printers do wood, uh, silicone, ceramic. And so we can actually physically make the final version of their demo unit. And at that point, send it to our office in Taipei, uh, where it's broken back into its constituent pieces. And it goes to each of the factories that we have a relationship with. And we can go, okay, this company will make the extruded aluminum skin. This company will make the heat sink. This company will do the printed circuit board. And that allows a customer to go all the way from idea to prototype. Demo unit, ready for mass manufacturing. And in my opinion, if if a customer can get themselves all the way to that point, now they're in a position of power when they negotiate with an investor because they're saying, "I don't need you for research and development. I just need you to help scale up my company."
1: Hmm. No, I think that's uh, definitely makes or makes sense and is a, a good uh, stepwise approach to to going through things. So- when you're going through, and I know this is a hard question to ask and probably one where there isn't a perfect answer, but how do people even start to figure out how much a prototyping or kind of that process or, you know, even the process that you just uh, went through is going to cost them. In other words, hey, I do have a a bit of money set aside or I can or have a monthly burn and but I don't have, you know, unlimited funds and I don't have, you know, can't break the bank or, you know, put everything on or in uh, jeopardy. So how do you kind of anticipate or figure out what you should be setting aside or what you should be anticipating to get to that point?
0: That's a great question. That's, uh, I assume it's similar to your law firm. We always do a 30 minute consult for free because we want to get to know what the customer needs. And uh, usually in 30 minutes, we can assess if an invention is real uh, and if they really are a subject matter expert. And uh, at that point, we present a budget to them. Our rates are 60 US dollars an hour. And so uh, one of the reasons that we chose to build here in South Africa is that I think of South Africa as the best R and D region of the planet that Americans have never heard of. It blows my mind. The average American doesn't even know that South Africa speaks English, and so you're you're dealing with sixty million human beings that speak English, watch American television shows, read American comic books. You can you can talk about things like you know it's like a Star Trek transporter, and they know what you're talking about. Whereas if I were to say that. In Mandarin, um, the, even if I could translate that, culturally, it wouldn't translate. And so it makes it much, much easier to communicate um, with our staff. And it allows Americans to get into a level of research and development that would cost them 10x if it was being done in Silicon Valley, uh, about 4x if it was being done anywhere else in the United States, such as, say, Salt Lake City. And that makes it much more affordable. And and we, we work at milestones with them. So we say, hey, to get to this point, this will be milestone number one, and our estimate is that it'll be 15 hours. And then to get to milestone number two, we think that's 25 hours. And that allows the customer to budget that as they go along. Um, And they can always say to us, I've got enough in the bank for milestone one, and then I'm going to need to pause for a little bit. That's not a problem. And and we work through that with them so that they are never, ever um, in over their head financially as they're building their inventions.
1: Hmm. No, I think that uh, definitely makes sense. And I I think that's a a great approach. And I, you know, I, as you mentioned, I'm a big believer in, you know, before they get in and have to spend a lot of money just for a consultation, only to be told that they, it's not the point that they can help or it's going to be way too expensive, having that initial consultation where they can sit down, kind of get a quick overview get some or questions answered and get an idea as to what they cost, I think is definitely a, a benefit all around to, to make sure it's a great experience and it delivers what they're what they're needing with at the price point that they're able to uh, afford on. Now, and I assume
0: it's for you, right? Like there's, yep. there's, you've got a type of client who comes in and you're like, that is not a patentable idea and you don't want to waste their time and you don't want to take advantage of them. And then there's another type of client who comes in and you're like, that's highly patentable. I need you to pay for a search. Then this is roughly how many hours I think it's going to take to to draft a utility patent for you, and this will be roughly how many hours I think it'll take to prosecute, and and my and so it's it's amazing how similar our method is to running an IP law firm. It's it's mm-hmm. and in fact, but what we see ourselves as like an engineering firm on steroids. We're an engineering firm first that happens to have this big giant factory behind me, and then behind this factory is 35 more factories in Vietnam, China, and Taiwan uh, that help someone scale up. So this is This is the tip of the iceberg. And all of this, this isn't, I'm not just here to promote my company. I wanna explain why I did this. Hardware was too damn hard and it shouldn't be. And we all know investors are terrified, particularly American investors, are terrified of hardware startups. But this world is still a hardware planet. And we need better ways of delivering liquid propane gas. We need better solar panels. We need, you know, better roads, better bridges. And none of that is going to come out of the type of investor that is only looking for software startups in Silicon Valley. So all of this comes out of a deep passion and obsession to make hardware easy.
1: Hmm. No, I think that uh, is a, a great place to come at it. And I totally agree. I mean, we, there is a place for software. There's a place for hardware. There's a place for mechanical, and to try and you know, there's plenty of uh, products and services and other things that are, are certainly hardware reliant. Yet it's uh, one that people tend to get scared off on just because of the oh. fear the, of the cost it's going to take to 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 or do a business in that realm. And I, I think it's great that you guys are providing an avenue to address that. So. Well, look, we've already, we're reaching towards the end of the podcast. We have so many more things that we could uh, chat on. So we'll have to have you on. Maybe to one of our uh, sister podcasts in the future and continue to explore your journey. Uh, But for today's episode, yeah, for today's episode, I always like to wrap up each episode with uh, one question. So we'll jump to that now, which is um, within your industry, and it may have already been what you just chatted about, but I'll ask the same question anyway. Within your industry, what is the biggest myth and why is it wrong? Biggest myth is, I'll pivot away from what I
0: previously said. We'll say this is the second biggest myth. The first biggest myth is hardware has to be hard. Uh, And hopefully we've solved that. Uh, The second biggest myth is that inventions come from engineers. Hmm. And I don't understand why the average person thinks that. The reality is, is inventions come from people who are angry. That's where they come from. Someone who has dealt with a problem in their industry and they're so frustrated that this, this sticky spot, this, this Velcro-like thing is in their path that they've, they've decided to invent something to work their way through that. That's where inventions come from. And the problem with that is that means they're both the most qualified and least qualified to bring it to market. They're the most qualified because they're a subject matter expert and they know exactly what the customer needs, but the moment they need to turn that into a physical thing, they need a mechanical engineer and an electrical engineer and a software. Uh, they need a coder. They need someone who knows the difference between firmware and apps. And, uh, and most of the people that are out there who can provide those services are out to screw you. And so, so it's really, really hard for that person who has this crazy idea in the back of their head to actually get that to market, even though they're the most qualified. And usually someone is saying to them, you shouldn't be doing this. You didn't get a degree in engineering. And the reality is, is that they're exactly the person who should be doing it. They should just have engineers that are willing to support them.
1: No, I think that uh, that's a great method to spell. And I like the, hey, I'm an engineer by undergraduate, by training, but I also am an, an, an attorney, I've done other startups. And I think that, you know, there, there's a lot of skill sets and a lot of the clients we work with, you know, it's not always the engineer. And sometimes you have the engineer that helps you to implement the idea or figure out how to build it. But it doesn't mean yeah. that you have to be the engineer in order to start the business, to build it, to understand it and to and to be successful at it. So I think that's uh, some great myths to spell and uh, definitely uh, some great takeaways. So... Well, now as we uh, wrap up the episode, if people want to reach out to you, if they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more?
0: Um, All they got to do is Google our company name, Evans Works, and that's spelled E-V-A-N-S-W-E-R-K-S. It's the German spelling. And uh, you'll come across our website, evansworks.com. Uh, you can book an appointment with us right on the website. You can email me personally at justin.evans at evansworks.com. You'll find us on YouTube. You'll find us on Instagram. You'll find us on Facebook.
1: Awesome. Well, definitely uh, plenty of great ways to connect and uh, certainly uh, invite people to reach out, support a great business, and if nothing else, uh, make a new best friend. So with that, thank you again, Justin, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. I love being, now, on, your oh, go I love ahead. being on your phone. I love your business. Absolutely. Now, it's, it's been a fun and a pleasure to have you on. And uh, for now, all of you that are listeners, um, to help us to share this expertise with even more startups and small businesses, make sure to click share, subscribe, leave us a review, helps us to reach those businesses to help them along their journey. And on that note, if you ever need help along your journey with patents, trademarks, or anything else, with your startup, or your small business, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. We're always here to help. Well, thank you again, Justin, for coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. All right. Bye, sir.